0: This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.
1: This is Eric Golden, and today I am hosting Frederick Haga, co-founder and CEO of Dune. For anyone involved in the crypto markets, you have likely come across a Dune Analytics dashboard. In this podcast, we cover Frederick's background and motivation to start Dune, why he pivoted early to offering a free service, and what he's excited to build in the future. Please enjoy my conversation with Frederick. So I'm excited to have Frederick Haga today, the CEO of Dune Analytics. Before we started getting on air, Frederick, we were just talking about my use of Dune, how important it is to me, it's been a very helpful resource for my exploration of Web3. But I'd like you to take us back to 2018, when you thought this was a good idea, because as obvious as the idea is now, I cannot imagine it was as clear or written out back in 2018. And so you wrote an amazing founding story, blog post that I recommend everyone reading. Let's start back to the early origins of Dune Analytics.
2: To start a little bit with me personally, I'm... Uh... Economist by education, but always been very interested in technology, business, and technology and that intersection. And initially, I found crypto to be very intellectually stimulating and realized that I get to a lot of deep questions around what is money, what is the financial system, how does it actually work when you try to build something from the ground up on the side, like you actually need to understand what are features and what are bugs of, of the existing system. And then I ended up working for like a big online classified media companies after studies. And I saw a lot of things around what the internet did to media and what it means to be a legacy player in a new paradigm and how challenging that is. And luckily in that company, I got to meet my co-founder, Mats, and we had a shared interest in crypto. So in the hype of 2017 we got a chance to build some smart contracts and experiment with the technology build proof of concepts held hackathon inside the company then of course throughout early 2018 the hype died out and we realized that this technology is way too young and weird for a big company to actually make a proper move on basically our thesis was that this is a more meaningful financial system we think that the properties of Global infrastructure for value transfer and custody and having something that's developer-friendly, innovation and entrepreneurial-friendly is extremely powerful. So despite the 2018 downturn, we were just as convinced as ever that this makes sense fundamentally. We think that people will build new experiences, new products on top of this new financial infrastructure, meaning first and foremost, Ethereum back then, of course. So we started exploring, okay, we believe in this stuff. If we're to do something, what could be useful and valuable? And we realized that pulling the data was really hard and building smart contracts. At this time, EtherScan would only show you like a wallet-to-wallet transfer. There are no details on what a transaction entails. There were not that many products. This was before Uniswap V1 went live, very early days. And... What we realized is that it's really hard to fetch this data and use this data if you're building a product. Our initial idea was to build like a mixed panel or Google Analytics type of product for people building smart contracts. So give them dashboard for helping them understand what's going on in their products. The thesis was people will build on this infrastructure and they're going to, in the same way that if you build a a website, you want to understand who's using it. Are they clicking this button or that button? Are they coming back? These things. And we figured those side metrics will matter in this new world as well. And then what happened, we started cleaning the data. So we started the company, we left our jobs out of Oslo, Norway, knew no one in the crypto space and just had a go at it. And then we spent some money going to hackathons. We had no salary or anything, but we had a small government innovation grant. So we spent all of that on the flying to It's Berlin, it's San Francisco, meeting the folks, doing the cool stuff. And actually, after three months, we managed to get a paying client. So Dharma, based in SF, they wanted to pay us. But what they wanted to pay for was not dashboards per se. What they wanted to pay for was access to this clean data that we have created, where we'll clean up the events and history of what's going on on on-chain into a nice format. And they said, hey, if you have this data in a database, We can pay for access to that, and we will write SQL queries on top of it and build our own dashboards. And we said, of course, sure, that makes sense. If you want to pay for something, we'll sell it to you. We did that, got our first customer after three months, super stoked. And then we figured, okay, let's go fundraise. We have a paying client. No one has a paying client in this space. But that turned out to be really hard.
1: What year was this? When were you trying to do your first fundraise?
2: Autumn 2018. So we had been running Dune for like three, four months. Since the summer, we had a paying client, tried to do a pre seed. And essentially, we just got a lot of, lot of, lot of no's. People said, hey, you have a total addressable market of like 10 people building smart contracts. This is super not interesting. Maybe this is a lifestyle business, these type of things. But what they also pushed us on was like, how defensible is it to actually sell dashboards, sell access to dashboards, given that the data is inherently open? After like a month or two, I think, of getting just like constant no's, we took a hard look in the mirror and we said, okay, actually, there's a pushback on market size and there's a pushback on the approach to how we create and sell this product. Basically, what we said was, okay, the market size thing, we believe this space matters. We still believe all the properties of this infrastructure is so compelling that people will build products. But we also saw that, hey client we had had a couple of clients and paying for access to the database for the data so they wanted access to the data and just write sql on top of it themselves and the investors had a point us selling dashboards per se was maybe not that exciting as a business perspective so basically what we did then was to pivot and this was a really hard decision because we had i think 20,000 dollars arr this was all our traction and basically what we decided was we're going to give you guys this product for free on our website and rug the small revenue and piece of traction we had. So this was really brutal. We're like half a year in with no salary, pretty hard on us. And we decided to do this pivot and say, let's rather embrace the openness of this data. Let's build a tool that lets people analyze it themselves and flood the world with dashboards, make it super accessible and really embrace
1: and drive the openness. At that point, did you have a business model in mind? where you just focused on, if we just get this thing bigger, we can find a way later to make money?
2: I think we had some ideas. There would be things we could monetize. This is a data tool and there would be features that would be interesting and we can you know, talk more about it. The first thing we did was getting a paying customer. So we always had this mindset of like, we need to build something useful. And the best way to know if something is useful is if someone pays for it. So I think we always had this thing in mind. But of course, it was not entirely clear like what it would look like, but we had this hunch that this is the most powerful
1: approach. So you were selling dashboards, open source data, but hard to wrangle, wrangle it for you, charge, and then you pivoted to, what if we just make this free for everybody?
2: Yeah, basically. We realized we think this is a more exciting play, scales better, it is more aligned with the assumptions of this world we're in. So we pivoted to that, started working on it, kept pitching, still had a really hard time. It was not obvious to to investors at all. But eventually, we got accepted into an accelerator and we got our first funding and 250K pre-seed. We lived on that round for almost two years. We hired nobody, just me and my co-founder, keep at it. Crypto was still by no means obvious. We just tried to make this thing useful, tried to help people write queries, create dashboards. Funny story. So obviously, in crypto, we use Telegram a lot. And we recently saw on Notts, my co-founder's Telegram that he had notification turned off on everything, except a guy named Tio, which was one of our earlier users. And he had like a exemption for him. So if he ever messaged him, it would show up on his home screen and he would go straight in and help him with the SQL. And we basically helped him learn SQL. And I had biweekly calls with him to show him how to do it
1: the ultimate customer service, your first customer. You're like, we'll do anything, just keep using this thing. So now this is getting you to 2020 when you were in the getting for your raise? So we kept at it for about two years with this 250K. And then
2: 2020, summer 2020, crypto started picking up again. Basically for the first little over two and a half years, it was very non-obvious, big time grind. And then suddenly... Crypto as a category and what we're doing clicked and the growth rates went through the roof.
1: Suddenly, everybody was interested. But it was certainly a very almost binary experience. You had the one funding, you got a little bit of seed money, you were able to survive. Then you started to gain traction. People are starting to use DeFi lending, borrowing assets, and you could use Dune as a way to kind of see what was going on at a high level. These dashboards of non-technical people could start to have a better insight. Then you had a second kick with NFTs. People could start tracking flows, what was selling, where volumes were. And so then you had this most recent fundraising, which you weren't even looking. Now you've got traction. You had some money. You weren't even looking for fundraising. So tell the story of your most recent round.
2: A Half year after we did our seed, we did the Series with the USV, $8 million, that went pretty fast and was a totally different experience than the first two and a half years. And then, so last autumn, obviously, crypto got hotter and hotter, and, and, and more and more people started believing in it. And suddenly, a lot of funds was excited about this. Our mindset has always been just build something useful and focus on that. We've only sort of fundraised as a means to building, never as a goal in and of itself. And it's not something we like think or care that much about. It's like a necessary evil, if you will. Just kept building. We had pretty insane growth rates. So that was pretty cool. We grew a number of creators, grew at 30 40% month over month organically. We had one month, we grew like 175% month over month organically. So it was like an absolute insane pace in what we're doing. We got a lot of investor requests. I mostly said no to all of them. But we got contacted by Kochu. I knew, of course, that they're doing some interesting stuff. And obviously, there's like new Dynamics in venture, And Coach U is one of the players sort of changing the game up a little bit. So I had a chat with them and they were very excited. And then basically, they came back a few weeks later and had done like a lot of research. They knew a lot, a lot about our customers and potentials. And they had backed this with data. They track a lot of things, both qualitatively and quantitatively on what's going on. And so essentially, I didn't really sort of pitch anything. I didn't really share any metrics or anything like that. They had simply outside and built an insane conviction in what we're doing. And then they wanted to give us a term sheet on the $500 million valuation, which was a considerable markup from our Series A. I kept saying that we're not fundraising, but I said, if you double it, we'll think
1: about it. So when you said this, I just think it's so funny that someone offered you a $500 million valuation after you barely could raise money. And then you just said, double it. Were you joking or were you serious? If you value this company at a billion, you'll do it.
2: (laughs) I was kind of serious. By then, we had grown up. We knew the game. We knew what it means to be one of the most exciting companies out there and having these growth rates and what that's worth and why that's exciting. So we were pretty confident by then that we're onto something huge here. So, I mean, maybe it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was also like, you got to make me an offer I can't refuse because we have so much to build and we have so much opportunity. And we we're so few people, like we were 15 people at the time. So it wasn't like we were burning a ton of cash. We're still quite lean. So we were just like, hey, we're out here building and we have so much to do. We're going to keep growing fast. They had so strong conviction that they just wanted in and they were willing to go there.
1: That's amazing. Let's dive into what, Dune Analytics is a little bit more about how the product works. I think it's a really fascinating area to think about open source software. There's open source data. So the blockchain is inherently open. And so as you think about the arc of Dune Analytics, the company, the first view from investors that are skeptical are the data is all open sourced. There's no real value to being a data provider, Um, but Dune feels different. It feels like you actually have this combination of free data with community. So talk a little bit more about the creators, how Dune works, how dashboards are created for different people of different technical skills. So
2: to start Zoomed out, a blockchain is a set of nodes that verify transactions. So that's a piece of software that's created to do just that. And that is a hard problem and they're optimized for doing that. So that creates a computer that people put, code on, smart contracts, and people use that. And when they use it, it creates a trace of what's going on. However, these systems are really not built for exporting or serving data. So that's absolutely not trivial to get all of this data out and do something useful with it. So basically, what we're doing is we're taking all the data out of these nodes. We convert it into a nice human-readable format. And then we let anyone go into our website see all these data tables, see all these transactions and the history of these interactions. And then they can write SQL on top of it, get results, get a table with slicing and dicing this data in various ways. And you can visualize it, create a dashboard, see a lot of this over time. And then I guess the key thing that we've really embraced and from early on since that first pivot just a few months in, this is all community and open first. So you can go in, you can see All the things that's happening, we have, I think, close to 150,000 queries on Dune, sort of pieces of analysis that you can look at, where you can see the, the code, you can see how this chart is created, you can fork it, you can make your own version. So we think this brings the ethos that's kind of on the layer one and in blockchains in general, where it's all composable, it's compounding. Instead of working siloed, closed, you're working together, you're working on top of everything everyone else already did. And this makes for a very, very powerful fast paced dynamic that's basically not existing, especially not in, in the existing financial world where everything is very closed and slow and parallel. So that is how Dune works. And I think what makes it so compelling is this focus on community. And back to our roots and how we started and how we thought about this, we were always firm believers that People are building new products and it's the grassroots. It's the weird, anon, weird sort of startups that do this. That's the exciting, that's the future. It's not selling to banks and suits and these things. Early on, when we had no funding, the obvious idea was like, hey, go sell some financial data to banks. That's how you make money on this stuff. And we were like, no, we're going to sell this to like these weird-ass developers doing these smart contract things. And that's the bet. And that's the big thing. And if we can serve the long tail, if we can help the grassroots, the grassroots will become the dominant players of the future. And then what we're doing is going to be very lucrative, but it's a harder and longer term play than just turning around and selling to your local Wall Street bro.
1: Yeah, I think as someone who was a former Wall Street I don't think I was a bro. I just came (laughs) from Wall Street. My initial assumption was like, okay, this is really interesting. I like these markets. My first assumption is where can I get data? And to your point in the financial world, that's probably one of the greatest areas of edge is that the data is siloed. You have to pay huge contracts to Bloomberg, to companies like ICE, to the New York Stock Exchange to get data that other people don't have before you can even have a thought. So the creative thought process that I think about analysis to say, I thought about this data, and I thought about that data, stumbling into Web3. And this ethos you have is completely turning that on its head of like, no, Web2, especially financial, especially data, that is the golden goose. So everyone wants to restrict it, protect it. You can get a little bit of this, but if you really want the full data set, or if you want it really fast, you have to pay more. I think it would be helpful to kind of give an example. So how the data works and the community. So OpenSea was the dominant NFT exchange. Another exchange popped up called Looks Rare. We all started to see if we would move there, what was going on. And you can follow Twitter, you can be on Telegram, Discord. But what was amazing about going to Dune, I think this happened to me every time, I'm like, I'm going to learn how to use Dune. I go on Dune. And before I even try to learn, I search, does this dashboard exist? And Hill Dobby, who's like my favorite person, he took care of it. So explain who Hill Dobby is, explain the Sea looks rare and how Dune was so critical and the market kind of understanding the dynamics between these two companies.
2: Hildavis is one of our top wizards, as we call them, one of the creators on top of Dune. He has a very cool story in and of itself because I think he had like a couple of hundred followers about a half a year ago, and he just started creating a lot of dashboards on Dune. Sort of over time, did a lot of useful stuff. It's very on point when things like this happen. There's an airdrop, the new Ape coins, things like that, and he's just right on it. And he's now. Got a following of, I think, six and a half thousand followers or something built up over the last just few months purely by doing Dune dashboard, tweeting it out. I think he actually recently just dropped out of his studies because he's making more money on Dune now and see a path there. That's pretty amazing.
1: How is Hildabi making money? How is he getting paid?
2: There's a lot of ways. I think it's not completely figured out and streamlined yet, but there's certainly a lot of DAOs and grants out there and you can pick up pretty serious sums if you keep an air to the ground and see what people are posting. We're also working on doing to enable this more streamlined and let wizards get paid for their work. But I think in general, in crypto, there's a lot of money out there that actually seeks to go towards productive use cases. And there's, in the case of Dune creators, a lot of value being created. So I think it's an obvious gap to bridge and give some of those treasuries to amazing dashboard creators for the communities. So to the the rare specific case, it was certainly an interesting aspect of open data. And there's a meta point there where you can't hide in this space. Your backend is public and anyone can scrutinize it. So when Luxray dropped, you can instantly see the volumes. And what was the kind of headline instantly, right, was that Luxray volumes were higher than OpenSea, in some cases, several times higher, which was a shocker. But then what Hill and also others looked into was, okay, what's the dynamic of this volume? And what you realize then is a lot of it is essentially wash trading. So people were incentivized with a token to trade, but if you actually, for instance, removed NFTs with royalty fees, so it cost you money to the creator whenever you transfer it back and forth, those were not traded at all on Looks rare almost because that was had a real price. But just wash trading these other things back and forth to get tokens um, that didn't cost you anything. And furthermore, you can also see that, for instance, OpenSea had like 60,000 daily traders, while LuxRare had 2,000. So even though the volumes seemed way bigger, you can actually see in the data, oh, no, it's more complicated than this. And probably a lot of this stuff is inorganic. So that just displays sort of the power of the open data here. And I think it is also still kind of underrated. I think, as a evolutionary force in the crypto space. So historically, if I want to do a startup, it's hard for me to know if someone did that a year ago and it didn't work out because it might be just like gone from the surface of the earth, essentially. But in crypto, since you can see both the code and the products that people build, you can also see the traction that they get on those products. So you can look at a market segment, you can say, okay, this the opens for smart contracts and this is the type of traction they're getting on these products. And that means that new creators can go in and take those learnings and build something even more powerful. And it's brutal for people building products because you're very exposed in terms of how well you're doing. And we see a lot of companies racing rounds just with doing dashboards, which is really cool. And it's just like, hey, here's our metrics. This is it. And that's all you need to know. So it's a double-edged sword, if you will. But it also means that this industry evolves way faster. The feedback loop is tighter and the information is better. And I think over time, this is going to compound and yield significantly better products and basically a better evolutionary process than having all of these siloed, forgotten things in the old world.
1: When I think about finance, you hear there's a lot in different areas, I suppose, but everyone wants transparency, more transparency, more transparency. Everyone wants meritocracies. And in crypto, it's the purest version I've ever seen. And it's scary in a lot of ways that there is no subjective marker for a lot of these people. If a developer launches something, it's very clear to everyone. And what Dune does is it really expands who can see it. Now you don't have to read code. You can say, you launched a project. Is it real? Is it fake? What's going on? I'd like to switch just because I think this will have even a greater impact in the real world to give your example of a digital bank or a neo bank or whatever you want to call it. Or the financial services like Uniswap or MakerDAO and compare that to a traditional bank? Because I think this is a concept that will kind of blow people's minds.
2: We have this saying of the revolution will not be reported quarterly on this point. So previously, any traction in the product is closed within the team or the company or inherently all data lives in a very closed environment. That means that, for instance, if you're a public stock, what happens is that you take some internal data, you synthesize it, you put it into a PDF, and then you distribute that to investors every quarter. And same goes for a bank. It's balance sheets, it's assets, these things, and revenues, and all of that. What's so exciting here is that since we're building open source finance, these traction metrics, these deep understandings of what's going on in these systems is live out there. That means that people are building dashboards on Dune that resembles a quarterly report, a financial statement. And you can see, hey, here's some revenue, here's some cost, here's the balance, here's the assets that's being held in this bank, in the case of MakerDAO. But actually, it is real-time feeding from the blockchain. You can go on Dune, you can see it for free, You can see the analysis, the SQL that's going into fetching that from the chain. So it's 100% verifiable. You can fork it. You can make your own version of it. And you have this just absurd granularity and liveness into the deepest parts of these products. And I think that is still extremely underrated and both in so many ways. But just think of this as an investor. How much does... A hedge fund pay to get like a slight information advantage in the stock market. And here you can literally block by block see the revenues of a system and follow that benchmark. What's the price earnings ratio of this token claim on this system? It's real time. It hasn't ever happened before. It's a total game changer. And it also means that there's room for a whole new generation of analysts in this space. And since it open, the dynamic is different because you do it and You can share it with the world, you can build a CV, you can build a reputation for yourself and do it in public and create a public utility. And all of this is basically a new type of work that hasn't existed before. And it can give us a very deep, deep, deep understanding of the systems we're building here and indeed make it more transparent, make it less risky and less obscure. And not just for people paying for expensive Wall Street reports, but anyone that just goes to a website and looks at this stuff.
1: Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but to think about a world where a Lehman Brothers balance sheet is monitored every second of every day and regulators, investors, anyone can look at something in that type of transparency. I can imagine a lot like corporations would not want to have this exposed, their secret sauce, their IP. You don't want to know, but it's absolutely fascinating the level of transparency, because I think a lot of people associate, not a lot, but there's wash sales, there's there's money laundering, there's all these things that they think crypto is being used for. But it's so ironic because it's also, if used appropriately, a form of transparency the world's never seen before. The fact that instead of filing every quarter, analysts look at a bank's financials to see that every day, it just starts to make you think how different the world might be in the future.
2: Absolutely. This is absolutely radical to existing companies or worlds, and we're sort of closed and protective is the default mode of operation, right? And I think this, again, is why we're excited to build Dune for the community and take these full-on bets on this new world and this new mentality. That is so cool to see these new financial products. They come from this community open world. So they want their data to be out there. They pay people to create dashboards so anyone can see it. And I think all of these things are still second-order effects from having an open financial system. And one thing is the actual smart contract, but you build this world of consequences from having the underlying infrastructure open that is still yet to be discovered and utilized to a large extent.
1: Let's talk about the business model now. You've got a lot of capital here, still experiencing tremendous growth. Talk about where you see this business going, how you think it will generate revenue, how the Wizards will potentially have sources of income, because I think there's something here where you're kind of making this combination of Wikipedia plus Substack, where you have this amazing data set that the world can use. But then for people like Dobby that are really expert at extracting that data and showing it in a helpful way, some of the value could accrue to them. So I'm always interested, where does the value accrue? How do you think about the business model?
2: The way we think about monetizing this is essentially that anything you do that's free and open, and that others can leverage, that others can see and build on top of, we're never going to charge for. What we're charging for is essentially, if you want to have things private, you want to not show the world what you're up to, or you want to export the data. And that also typically means that you're not showing it to others, or you're building your like your own business on it, whatever it might be. And of course, to some extent, like resource consumption, if you want really high, so we haven't done this yet, we're still developing some of these things. But if you want really high refresh rates and sort of consume a lot of resources on our end, then we'll charge for that. But we think this is very aligned with, in general, it's free, it's accessible. We try to make it as easy and powerful as possible to do all this. If you want to sort of contain the alpha, you pay for that.
1: It wouldn't be Web3 unless we talked about a token. I was thinking about your economics background and it just being a Web3 company. Have you thought about a native token where you can imagine to usage or to send to creator types where the consumers, maybe not Dune is paying out, but the consumers are paying the creators? We're certainly thinking about all the
2: things that this crypto toolkit gives us. I think it's still early and, and we have no specific plans of doing anything of that sort. We still think that We have a lot of obvious things to build in the product, and we see insane growth rates just by keep focusing on building something useful. And I think it's a double-edged sword to bring in these crypto things. And a lot of things get a lot of hype, and you attract a lot of get-rich-quick people, and then they go away very quickly. And suddenly, you're stranded when the tide turns, and you see who's swimming naked and all of that. So I think we're, in general, trying to build something useful. We're, in general, thinking about the toolkit that exists in this space, but have no specific plans of doing any token or anything like that. But over time, we will always see what we can do to reward and incentivize people. But for now, I think it's still just a lot of value to be created by just building a useful tool. And then there's also kind of an economy forming on top of doing pretty casually as well. And people are working as consultants or picking up grants and these things. And we're going to embrace and enable more of that. We'll see where that takes us.
1: When I was preparing for this, I was thinking a lot about, and it's funny because I know Buffett and Munger are not necessarily fans of crypto. I think back when Buffett was a young investor and he would pour over these things called Moody's Manuals, which were these just books about like what was going on in the industry and numbers. And Dune gives me that same vibe for new crypto NFT DeFi investors that there's this huge data trove where there's a lot of information that you could find that could actually help you form a view and have an opinion that you believe in. And it's just still untapped. Just like the most exciting thing is like every great investor is always looking for an area where there's a lot of really high information. And I just think Dune's at this really special place where it's offering it to anybody independent of your skill.
2: Over time, crypto rediscovers that a lot of the things in the existing world does make sense. And we're building up them in a new way on new systems. And some things are truly different, but some things or a lot of things are actually pretty similar as well. If you think about the investing, at the end of the day, What you care about is like revenues and traction, essentially, of the businesses you're investing in. At the end of the day, what people care about with Facebook is like how many engaged users do they have? How many people pay for Netflix? These are the type of things that really matters for the price of the stock. In crypto, basically, you have all of that real-time, as we talked about. And that means that you have extremely, extremely deep insights into which projects are getting traction. And I think this is still extremely underutilized like so many people are so concerned with the hype of like what's the thing today what's the thing tomorrow that they forget if you actually take a long term view here you can understand very deeply and you can see very quickly that the prices of these assets behaves very randomly relative to the actual usage their underlying products are getting and i think that in and of itself is like so obvious and so accessible and so nevertheless so underutilized then i think what do a great venture investor look, in, look for in a startup? They look for traction. At the end of the day, you want usage of the product. And that is a treasury of insights that's out there for the whole world. You don't have to be a VC with access to the, the exclusive pitch deck with the metrics in it. You can literally look at the chain and see what's happening. then go to Dune and, and follow all the dashboards. Create your own analysis if you want to, but you don't, often don't even have to do that. So I think there's room for someone to be that. Buffett of this era and, and really just rigorously take this approach and follow what's going on and take a long term view. And I think you can make, create history with doing that.
1: I think so too. And I think a lot of people are going to slowly turn on to that idea. And that's one of the reasons why I think doing such a fun place to hang out and look for data and see how it reacts in the marketplace. I'd like to end these podcasts with the same question every time, Frederick. What are you most excited to see built over the next six months? And what are you most excited to see built over the next six years?
2: For the next six months, I think what I'm very excited about is understanding traction across different chains and benchmarking it. So we're going to soon launch a new data platform where you can benchmark and query across all the different chains in one simple interface. And I think that is still lacking. Understanding is fragmented. There are A lot of different new systems and layer 2s and different types of blockchains and approaches. And it's still a lack of apples-to-apples comparisons of what's actually going on. And obviously, the whole narrative is like, we need to scale and these things, but it's still not clear the actual adoption that's, that's been achieved in these various systems. There's still a lot of hype and talking. So for the next six months, I'm really excited for seeing metrics on products on different chains stacking up against each other, see how they develop, and actually get a sense for where the future of these scalable systems might lie. So that's something I'm very excited for. For the next six years, I think, as we've been talking about, I think what's really exciting is if everyday people can have just as granular and clear understanding of the financial system they're using as bank CEOs has today, or even better. So... I think if you look at MakerDAO, a dashboard on Dune, you can actually see more detailed and more real-time, better data than probably Jamie Dimon has on JP Morgan today. And it's still relatively quirky, relatively unknown, and still kind of a geeky thing. But I think if we succeed, we will build this, make this so convenient, so accessible that the transparency of this financial system is real and accessible to a very broad audience in a way that the current financial system never will be. We can do that. That is going to make for a fairer and more beautiful way of doing finance. And I think we're on our way there. It's still a lot of work to be done in so many areas, but I think it's possible and I can see that we can get there. So that's something I'm excited for.
1: Well, thank you, Frederick. You're clearly a visionary. You saw this before a lot of other people did. Your story is amazing and inspiring, and I'm excited to continue watching it as you and Dune keep growing and pushing the limits.
0: Thank you very much. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S.com.